The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host this evening, Mr. Tyler Ball. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, what's happening, man? I'm uh, an interesting week, of course, uh, in the in the world of sports. So, so let's talk, let's talk for the people for a few minutes. All right, you can be sure to follow him on Twitter at ta ball one. You can follow the show's Twitter at KTS Pod. Follow along with the hashtag KTS Pod. Know the score can also be found on CSPN.us. You can also download and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. So, Tyler, we're going to start off week two in the NFL. The biggest jump usually is from week one to week two, so you can go from rags to riches in just a matter of 60 minutes of football. So we'll first start out with the marquee matchup of Sunday. It's turned out to be the Denver Broncos versus your Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Your Cowboys went out to Denver and uh, things didn't go so well, my friend. I'll just turn it over to you and let you, uh, you know, give your analysis. Um, It's real simple. Um, As I uh, told the people last week, you can, if you have an elite corner that you can match up with Des Bryant, you can add if you have a decent second corner that won't let Terrence Williams or, or Bryce Butler get behind him. And if you can use your your third corner to blanket and co- uh, blanket cover the whoever is in the slot, be it Cole Beasley or eventually Ryan Switzer, can play your base defense, put seven seven in the box, or even bring up a a defensive back to to watch over Jason Witten. And you can maintain your running lanes and your and your efficiency on defense. And that's pretty much what Denver did. And quite honestly, that's the way to beat the Cowboys. And of course, he out there because that's exactly how the Giants uh, have matched up against the Cowboys and were able to um, at least slow them down. And last year, they beat them twice. One, the difference was Ezekiel was able to exploit some of the holes and uh, Dallas's slot receivers were able to get open. Uh, open. Uh, Chris Harris did a magnificent job in the slot. Um, quite honestly, he is a Pro Bowl caliber, caliber, uh, caliber quarter. And, of course, Aqib Tlaib going to be Aqib Tlaib. And, uh, you know, he pretty much holds down his half of the field. Um, I was surprised that the Cowboys did not move Des Bryant around to force matchups, uh, maybe get him on to Harris, who where he's a little bit bigger, or even um, – even some other uh, defensive matchups. Uh, but Des just kept lining up on one side and going up against the lead. And that's typically a battle that you just aren't going to win. Des, Des just, I don't know if, I can't say that Des is not an elite receiver anymore, but clearly Tlaib got the better of him in the matchup. And uh, we could talk about uh, Dallas offering to run the ball just four times in the first half. Ezekiel Elliott finished the game with uh, with eight yard with eight yards on only nine carries. Uh, 
several media outlets are criticizing him uh, for a lack of effort. Most recently, Darren Woodson, uh, they felt that he essentially quit on the team just because of his uh, his, his motionless and, and just hapless expression on the sideline. Uh, they felt he was, a lot of people felt he was disinterested. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that was the case. Um, he knows that he didn't play well, but I also think Scott Linehan got away from the game plan. Um, the, uh, the lightning delay that happened, which was essentially an hour and it just, there was just no rhythm to the game. So it was, it was very weird well, for, uh, for both teams. I'll talk, uh, uh, I'll talk about Denver for a little bit. I thought that offensively, they did a really good job of keeping Cowboys off balance. Um, they had 32 passes and 25 runs from CJ Anderson, had 118 yards and a touchdown. Young Trevor Trev, Trevor Simeon had 231 yards, four touchdowns, interception. Um, Bebe Thomas led them with 71 yards receiving. Um, so they had a pretty balanced game plan. Um, they cashed in in the red zone. Every time they got in the red zone, they got a touchdown. So that was very key. Um, they do things that a lot of teams don't do. That's they throw the ball into the end zone when they get into the mm-hmm. red zone. That's very refreshing. Yep. So. Yes. So it was, it was, um, you know, offensively, I thought they really uh, uh, did a lot of good things running the ball, and then that led to their play action. For Dallas, um, you know, it seems like they, you know, they tried to loosen Denver up with their passing game to maybe create some running lanes. But I think that Denver just stayed with their defense and, and like you said, was able just to clog it up whenever they would try to go to their spread formations and get some of their, you know, big runs that they normally get. And so it caused that to have to throw the ball. And he did what he normally doesn't do. And, and he turned the ball over. Yeah. So, um, just, it just set, set things. I mean, it was just a perfect storm. Um, and then of course Dallas fell behind. So that even, that made them one dimensional. And the worst thing you could do with a team that has a, solid defensive backfield and linebackers who actually can can cover is their heels back and they know that the pass is coming. So I just think that even when the game was uh within two scores, uh Scott Linehan got away from the running game and, and that just didn't give the Cowboys a, a a chance. Um let's just add one more thing uh before we before we move forward. Um now uh the Dallas is now the walking wounded, particularly in the defensive backfield. Um, we knew that the, we knew Cowboys fans knew that this was going to be, uh, they were essentially on eggshells in the defensive backfield because they were going to rely on essentially th- uh, four guys that have three years experience combined. Two of those guys got hurt yesterday. And a third one, uh, the veteran, uh, Orlando Skandrick, who can almost never stay on the field. So three of your tops of your six DBs that you that you keep on the roster all sustained uh, injuries, and we won't know how they are when they uh, come back to play next week. But now that gives that even puts more pressure on Dallas's linebackers because uh, Linehan does. I mean, uh, Rob Marinelli doesn't blitz. So is he going to have to start calling blitzes more to protect the uh, defensive backfield or? Is he going to drop some linebackers in the coverage and maybe and maybe play a little bit more zone and give up some some yardage between the twenties and just hope that the uh that the team can tighten up and defend a few passes and and you know force field goals in the red zone. 
So I'm I'm designed to think the teams are going to be able to move the ball down the field against the Cowboys right now because there's no pass rush and uh, Marinelli doesn't blitz. Okay. Next up, we had the Falcons defeating the Packers. It was the opening of the Falcons' new stadium. The thing looks gorgeous. The way the lights look, it makes it look like it's daytime in there 24 hours a day. Uh, Matt Bryan, a pedestrian night, 252 yards for him, touchdown. Uh, Dante Freeman, 84 yards, two touchdowns. Julio Jones, though, done the heavy lifting, five receptions, 108 yards in the first, mostly in the first half, getting his stuff going. Aaron Rodgers, you know, most of his yards came late. 343 yards, two touchdowns. Ty Montgomery had a really good night uh, catching and running the ball. Got a touchdown in there in the third quarter, tightened the game up a little bit. And uh, due to injuries to Cobb and uh, Jordy Nelson, uh, Devontae Adams was able to lead the team in receiving. He had 99 yards and a touchdown. So um, just the fact of Atlanta's defense held on, uh, and then they closed it out at the end with their running game. Uh, You know, they had to make a stop. They did that. Then they had to drain the clock and they did that and they held on and Green Bay just got started a little too late. Uh, well, really um, a lot, a lot of things similar to last year um, in the NFC, cha- NFC championship game. Just, uh, just a dominant um, effort by Atlanta's offense. Just it's they're 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 very difficult to stop because they've got so much balance uh, between your outside weapons with Julio and Sadu, which are which that's a balance because Sadu can can go over the middle. Um, he can also stretch the field uh, deep, and obviously you have Julio. But you know it's always the the the, the twin the twin backfield of and uh, Freeman that are just you know elusive guys, tough tough runners, uh, even even deadlier in space and. Atlanta does a lot of great play calling to get those guys uh, isolated on outside the hash marks where they can make somebody miss and and go a long way. And that was that was good to see. Um, it's it's good offensive football um, from the Green Bay side. Uh, I, I can tell from last week that offense is still uh, lacking some punch. Uh, Montgomery is serviceable. We all know he's really a receiver disguised as a as a tailback. Um, he uh, and then now you have your your two top threats going down with injury in Nelson and uh, Randall Cobb. Receiver uh, Randall Cobb, yeah. And Cobb is your deep your Cobb is your true deep threat, and also Cobb is your punt returner too. So they're going to have a lot of questions to answer, and you know they can't necessarily fall behind the Lions. In the in the division, so uh, need to find some answers as far as uh, getting these guys back on offense. All right, you brought up the Lions. They defeated the New York Football Giants on Monday night, twenty-four to ten. Matthew Gosh, Stafford. A, oh, go ahead. In a snoozer, uh, Stafford was probably the best player on the field. Yeah, uh, but it the wasn't vaulted, the the vaulted giant defense. Uh, a lot of bad situations because of field position and uh you know they they actually got beat by by receiver the the defensive backs got beat by receivers that were more physical uh marvin jones catches a big touchdown and eric ebron uh from the crib of course uh you know caught his first td of the season uh, you know stafford's finding guys and actually uh 
he didn't he didn't really take a whole lot of hits. Um, I know Pierre uh, Pierre Paul got to him a couple uh, a couple of times, but Stafford pretty much had a clean pocket most of the night. Yeah, he, his stats uh, were pretty. <laughs> Pretty pedestrian though. He was fifteen twenty one, hundred and twenty two yards with the two touchdowns. Like you said, he uh threw that one to Marvin Jones and he got that other one to Eric Ebron. Ebron led the team in receiving. Uh he had forty two yards receiving and that touchdown. Abdullah led them in the rushing with eighty six yards. Story of the night though, the Giants could not protect Eli Manning. Eric Flowers is out there all alone, just getting abused and work. Um Odell Beckham came back in this game. Did not matter. Eli did not have time to throw the ball to him. They did mount a little bit of a charge uh, late in the third quarter, but uh, Eli, man, fell asleep at the wheel, allowed a delay a game when they were going for it on fourth and goal from the about half-yard line. So that attempt failed. They had to fail, uh, go for the field goal, and they never really got any closer. And then they that. gave up the punt return to, to, salt, to ice the game. Right. Um their tight end Ingram though he had a prompt, he had a very you know good night he had four catches forty nine yards and a touchdown so the lone bright spot probably in the whole night uh, for the Giants was that this kid you know showed that he can make some plays so we'll see where they go from here uh, they're kind of like Seattle again a team that has a really good defense but have a very bad offensive line and that's not going to be a good formula for your success at any point this year. So the Giants can get their offensive line straightened out, at least where they can throw the ball, then, you know, their defense should be strong enough to hold them in most games. Um, Just remember that they're uh, the NFC East cross uh, divisional matchups are against the AFC West and the NFC West. So each team will play game, will, you know, play games against the Raiders, Chargers, Broncos and Chiefs, and they'll also play the uh, the uh, Seahawks, Cardinals, Niners, and um, so physical defenses. And usually, it's always you always have to watch the games where, especially after they play an NFC West foe, uh, you got to watch them after the week after they play uh, a team for the NFC West because those those guys have physical defensive lines and push and hope to push you around up front and they you tend to play poorly what the score is um next week is, is usually rough on you because of all of that pounding that you take from uh the Niners uh defensive uh defensive front so um I mean from uh yeah Niners and Seattle's uh defensive fronts they they tend to wear you wear you down so um, I'm looking to see what um uh let's see what the, what how, this, up? how the schedule and the teams shake out? Yeah, yeah. I'm, the, look, I'm interested to see what um, I'm. I'm interested to see in how the Giants are going to figure out how to run the football, and and then you play against a team like a Denver or a Kansas City that has a shutdown, at least one, if not two, shutdown defensive backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're gonna. So or, you know how are they gonna score? <laughs> Yeah, well, their defense is still a beast. And, you know, if they can just not put them in bad positions where they have short fields to give up and make teams have to, you know, manufacture drives, they may be able to, you know, win those 17-13 type games, just muck it up, just don't mess it up. And when the opportunity arises to make the big play, they just make it. 
and they just go into the game knowing, hey, you know, usually we would probably have five or six chances in a game to make like a huge play, but we only might have two or three, so we really got to concentrate and make sure that we make them. And that kind of might have to be there the way that they roll. Last game of the weekend that we'll review that uh, we had high interest in, this team I like, the Washington football team, went out to L.A., uh, they played their, you know, basically their Spider-Man meme on offense, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, they got the win, 27-20. Old Captain Kirk came through in the clutch with the uh, uh, late-game touchdown pass. Game was tied at 20, drove the team down the field, uh, basically running the football. He picked up some good third downs. He looked the best he's looked all season as far as just a single drive. Got the ball to Ryan Grant in the end zone. He didn't fall down. And uh, Zach Brown made an interception to ice the game, first play of the next drive. So uh, Jay Gruden finally came through. Did what I said he needed to do two games in a row. He ran the football like a lot, like a whole lot. Like they had, I think, uh, around 30 something carries, 32 carries, 31 carries uh, for over 220 yards. Uh, Chris Thompson, uh, 60 yard run off a draw just beautiful Robert Kelly was getting uh, you know he had 12 carries for 78 yards mostly in the first and second quarter midway through the second quarter he uh, broke a rib so he's questionable coming into next week but yeah it was a it was just a good day to see the 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 Washington football team go back to their roots and run the football and the quarterback make the plays that he needed to make when he needed to make it and you know not throw the game away from you know in the red zone. Uh, golf was okay. You know, he's definitely a work in progress. Uh, we let Todd Gurley get loose a couple too many times, made a couple of highlight hurdles over a couple of our defensive backs. So, you know, that, that wasn't cool. We let their tight end ever get wide open on a busted play for about 70. But other than that, the, the defense played really well, um, forcing us getting our hands on a lot of footballs. Uh, I think they, Forced three fumbles, recover one, uh, and then, like I said, got the interception there to end the game. So, pretty pleased with the effort. We'll see what you know comes up, you know, as we preview next week. But uh, I was, I was definitely pleased with the outcome of the game. So, could have been a lot more in the first half. We probably should have got twenty four points out of that second quarter, but went down the red zone and kicked a couple of field goals. So, next yeah. up, mm-hmm. oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm good. Okay, so we're going to move into our week three review here on Know the Score, presented by CSPN.us. We're going to talk about the Falcons and the Lions first. Uh, should be a shootout in Detroit, as, you know, everybody's seen what Stafford, uh, you know, normally does. They're playing at home, but this may be a different Detroit team. They've been running, seem to be making a concentrated effort to really run the ball uh, to get um, – Amir Abdullah and Theo Reddick, a lot of carries and a lot of touches, especially Theo Reddick. He catches a lot of passes out the backfield, kind of that new age uh, running back that we're seeing. Uh, guys who are, you know, probably better at catching the ball than actually running it as far as a tailback, but they're still valuable for the position that they play. Uh, I've got to probably go with the defense of Atlanta just because I think they have a little bit better secondary and the Lions receiving core isn't really that scary. But if the Lions can put the pressure on that they put on Eli, you know, Matt Ryan won't have the time to at least get the ball out to Julio and to new and maybe have to do be a check down Charlie. Uh, and they just come up and make tackles. They may be able to keep the game close and Stafford take them down the field on a long drive. So, you know, there's a couple of ways the Lions can win, but it's all going to start with their defense being able to pressure Matt Ryan. 
You know, um, that when I think about this, it's um, wow. You know, two two and no teams, and winner will have literally a leg up on everybody else. But um, this game should be in Matt Ryan's hands um, as long as he doesn't turn over the ball or give the ball away to the other team. Uh, Atlanta should be favored. I like to see them commit a little bit more to Freeman and uh, Coleman and uh, Coleman. Yes, Freeman and Coleman to set up uh, to set up Julio. And I mean, you can you can beat these uh, Detroit DBs. You know they're 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 definitely uh, beatable. You just get by them and uh, get by them for a couple of big plays, and then of course set up for Coleman and uh, Freeman. And then defensively, uh, just turn up just turn up the play uh, play on the other level. Uh, bring on um, you know bring on those uh, uh, Vic Beasley um, and of course uh, Tank and. Uh, and just try to uh, try to put pressure on uh, on Stafford, and those those are those are simple keys, and you know take advantage of your own opportunities when you get them. Yep, of course. Turnovers would definitely be a big key if they can get Stafford to throw him a couple. That'll definitely uh, aid in their their chances for the Falcons. Seahawks mm-hmm. travel to Tennessee to play the Titans. Uh, this should be a very hard-hitting game as we're going to have a team in the Titans who is very much dedicated to the run. Last week, Seahawks struggled a little bit against the run. Carlos Hyde had a pretty good game. Actually, I was watching that game at the bar. Bust off a couple of pretty nice runs, not to you know, have a quarterback or a passing game of uh, any substance to help him out, to open up any you know real space for him. The Seahawks, just like the Giants, bad offensive line. Uh, they're Offense doesn't really operate that well in normal structure. Uh, Russell Wilson seems to move the ball by getting outside the pocket or, you know, you get pressure on him and you get him outside the pocket and he can get on the edge and, and you know, kind of do the dealer's choice whether he wants to run or throw the ball to a guy coming open. Um, if the Titans can keep Russell Wilson in the pocket for a majority of the game, they should probably win this game pretty easily. And it, it'll probably surprise a lot of people if that's the case. Tyler, you got any thoughts on it? Um, I, I'm not really. Um, just I'm just hoping that it's not boring. Let's, let's <laughs> just make it. I mean, well, honestly, t- I, and it just goes to another. Just this is leading to another. Right. I have about the about these two weeks in general. Um, right. I, I I was just godly. I watched half of the Niners and Seahawks last week and oh my gosh I fell asleep if you like defense yeah I mean, then it was it was a, it was a good it was a good football game for what it was yeah but it was just so many missed so many missed opportunities right. for uh for especially for for Hoyer god please he's just yeah it's it's bad it was just bad um <laughs> And, and I and I and you know, to their fairness, I mean, San Francisco kind of put the pressure on, and mm-hmm. uh, I and and you know, and I mentioned, and I'm going to mention last week's game because the Titans like to do the same thing. Titans like to bring their rush ins, and they like to clog up the middle in the running game. So you know, Precise and those guys are are going to have some tough sledding. So this could very well be a a field a game of field goals again. You know, first team to hit five wins the game. <laughs> Uh, the Titans have the right formula, though, to beat the Seahawks, which is just stay committed to your running game and 
they have a tight end who's pretty good in the red zone off the play action mm-hmm. fake. So, you know, that's how you kind of, that's the formula to beating the Seahawks because if you, you know, don't use your running game and get into just a pass happy thing, then they can unleash their defensive line. At least if you run, their defensive line has to, you know, account for the running back before they go to a quarterback. And it gives you just a little bit more time. Mariota with the read options, uh, that could be a big, big part of this game, leaving a guy on block and having him read uh, if he wants to keep it or if he wants to uh, give it off to the running back, kind of put that defensive player in the and I make a decision mode. So that should be a fun game to watch, actually. I don't think it, that one will be too boring. Sunday night, we get my Washington football team versus the Oakland Raiders. I, I, I'm I in love with Derek Carr. He is my new quarterback man crush. So I'm going to be watching this game very like bittersweetly, especially if he plays well and Kirk Cousins plays bad. Uh Another game again where if the Washington football team can stick with the running game, they can keep the pass rush of the Raiders at bay. Maybe they can hit some play action. Uh, Prior, if he can catch the football, can be a factor. Doxon, uh, Jordan Reed's health is definitely going to be a big key as far as the Raiders go. Uh, Test the Washington run defense hasn't really been tested in steady dose yet. They look pretty good, but, you know, if you get over 25, 30 carries, it may be a different different uh, scenario. And it's going to be a very fun matchup on the outside with Crabtree and uh, Amari Cooper versus Breland and Josh Norman. Uh, so, you know, this should be very entertaining. It, it, this, is the ge- this is the game early in the season where I'll know everything I need to know about Jay Gruden and if he actually deserves to be the coach. Because this whole knock has been not having the team ready to play in a high-profile, big-time game. And this is the one first chance to do it. So hopefully he comes through. Yep. Next up. Shoot. Oh, Tyler, you got anything? Um, I'm looking forward to – I'm kind of looking forward to this. Uh, I kind of want to see Marshall Lynch go right at the Washington football team. And, you know, and – Expose them for, you know, expose their weaknesses. Um, watch, uh, they they can't stop the run. So, run to set up the short, the short passing offense, or even turning it up and going deep. You just got to realize that that throw was there. So, uh, just take your take your chances. Uh, run the football, and you know, usually things take care of itself. And that go, that really goes for both teams, but really for the Redskins because the only way you're going to stop the Raiders right now is keeping them off, keeping that offense off the field. Right. So they're going to have to get some – get win. they're going to have to win first down and make it uh, second and third and short. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And um, maybe they can get a turnover or get something on special teams to kind of sway the game if it's close. Uh, last game we're going to preview, your Dallas Cowboys are facing the Arizona Cardinals on Monday night. It'll be an extra home game for the Cowboys in Arizona. It's, you know, probably be like 50-50 or 45-55 as far as Cowboy fans in Arizona. I don't know what to think about Arizona. I mean, they almost got beat by the Colts, who looked like the worst team, one of the worst teams in football in week one. Uh, thank goodness for Tyron Matthew, the only you know real playmaker they still have left, Patrick Peterson, I guess. But he saved the day uh, with the interception, uh, got a nice return, and they were able to hold on, kick a field goal at the gun uh, to get the win. But 
you know, if this is a week for the Cardinals to get right, this is it. Because like you said, the Cowboys with their secondary being depleted, being injured, uh, the defensive line is not really going to, in theory, put that much pressure on Carson Palmer. They shouldn't be able to. Uh, so there may be able to be some lanes to run. I think this is just a classic game where if the Cardinals are ready to play, uh, it could be a repeat where they jump up on the Cowboys and you guys may be scrambling, trying to come back late with your passing game, and it'll be another can Dak pull it out type of game. Do you think that it'll be a type of game where uh, they'll try to run up on you guys early because of your secondary problems? And then, you know, it'll be can Dak bring them back from behind, try to, you know, jump up on them and neutral and take the running game out of it and see if Dak can beat them with the pass? I don't think that, uh, um, I don't think they have the personnel to, to get a lead on us. Um, you know, they're facing some, they're facing some serious, some injuries to the receiver core. John Brown is, is out. Um, and of course, David Johnson is out. So you take those key key pieces away. I don't know if they're going to convert enough first downs to even put pressure on Dallas. Um, of course, they do have legitimate um, a legitimate corner in Peterson. I'd like to see De- again. I'd like to see Dez move around a bit and not necessarily draw Peterson on coverage. Um, I would also like to see just some more some more crossing routes to flood uh, just to flood that middle. Uh, with routes and you know get one of those guys open and maybe you can uh you know make it make a guy miss and it becomes a big play uh, you know there's more than one way to get a receiver the ball even when they know what's coming so I just think Linehan gets a, needs to be a little bit more creative in um, play selection and f- uh, and oh, as far as defense goes uh, you know Dallas needs to tackle well um, since they're not as they on the defensive side of the ball, they need to maintain the fundamentals. You know, avoid the silly penalties. Um, you know, make that first tackle on first contact. Last but not least, um, you know, control you know, control the clock. You know, keep 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 the keep Carson Palmer off the field, and that way you don't have to worry about getting big plays to Larry Fitzgerald. All right, all right. So that's our NFL preview for Week Three here on Know the Score. Just a reminder that you can find Know the Score on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. So, Tyler, we're going to shift into the week that was in college football last week as probably the marquee matchup that everybody was looking forward to with the defending national champion, Clemson Tigers, going into Louisville to face off against the defending Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson. Um, Louisville, of course, with the sweet helmets, black uniforms, night game, uh, ABC, you know, you got uh, Fowler and Herb Street there. Uh, big deal. And Clemson, their defense showed up, showed out. Kelly Bryant, you know, showed out on the national stage that, you know, he's the real deal, that he can play. Ray Ray McLeod, I love that name. Uh, he had a great night, 115 yards receiving, touchdown. Uh, Lamar Jackson in the stats category looked pretty good. He had 317 yards passing, three touchdowns. Another 64 yards rushing, but uh, he was only 21 of 42 uh, throwing the ball. Uh, Samuel was his leading receiver. He only had two receptions uh, for 100 yards. So uh, just a stifling effort on defense by Clemson, especially in that first half. Uh, they came out really strong. Uh, the running game, you know, controlled uh, Louisville's linebackers, and then Bryant was making all the big throws when he had to. Uh, just really, really impressive game by Clemson. I agree. Um, again, uh, Clemson has a another two or three defensive linemen that are going to be playing on Sundays, and all of a sudden, Clemson is sending defensive linemen to the league. Um, 
it's an astronomical number that they have right now um, over the past seven or eight years. I think it's up to 15 uh, defensive linemen that have gone to the NFL. And they were in that line. That defensive line was on full display. Uh, uh, you know, Jackson, there were several times that Jackson was bottled up. Uh, he took sacks. He was just feeling uh, feeling pressured. And, you know, once you once you pressure a running quarterback and you force him to to you force him to have to make a decision, you much won as a defense uh, because you've now taken taken them. You've now essentially reduced the offense to, you know, be scrambling around and trying to find somebody to make a play with. And, you know, usually that gets you into trouble as uh, UCLA's Josh Rosa found out. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, Lamar Jackson was bottled up. Um, you know, even when he got loose, it was it was late in the game and it was pretty much decided. Right. We had out on the West Coast, USC versus the University of Texas in a game that's been, you know, 10 years in the making since the epic 2016 rematch, 2006, excuse me, national championship game. This was the rematch. I know Tyler, you didn't like that hype and promotion, but uh, the game actually lived up to the hype and the promotion as uh, Gus Johnson was on the call and we had a double overtime game. What do you know? As USC wins on a field goal in double overtime, uh, the Texas defense uh, really came up with a big effort. Uh, Sam Donald almost had 400 yards passing, but they pressured him. He had two interceptions. Um, he was only 28 for uh, 49. Um, I was really impressed with Texas's defense. Uh, they really put up a, a great effort, um, you know, to, to keep Texas in the game long enough where their offense could come back around. Uh, Texas has no semblance of a running game. It is so bad. But uh, their quarterback, uh, Ian Jer, you know, 298 yards, two touchdowns. He had two interceptions, cost him late. Um, you know, Johnson for Texas, 191 yards receiving. Burnett for USC, 123, two touchdowns. Uh, just a very entertaining game. Um, I think the hope is there for Texas if they can just – find some type of running game where they can be balanced and and you know when they get inside the red zone they don't have to just rely on being able to throw it in they can give it to somebody and he can get it in from seven eight yards away but um texas was definitely on the upswing i think usc might be want to be concerned i mean donald his accuracy is is really off right now but you know maybe he'll find it here in the next few weeks when they play you know couple of these weaker teams where it's like a full speed scrimmage, you know, he can work on some of those things and dial those in, but you know, they found a way to win and in the playoff era, that's really all you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, as we look on to the next, uh, the next matchup, um, we got a Hail Mary down, in, uh, <laughs> down in the swamp, uh, Florida gets a, uh, Mary touchdown literally as time expires to beat Tennessee 26 to 20. And I'm still baffled on how you get single. You get you get double coverage. Either beat double coverage to the ball. Well, here's here's what I'm going to offer to you. Okay, uh-huh. it's nine seconds to go. Uh, they were at about the 35, or say on still their side. They hadn't quite got the midfield yet, but they were kind of right. in that range where you know, uh, out route or, you know, corner route, bench route, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the good depth could have got you there and you still would have had one more play to go, right? I think they were playing for that. They were playing for them to try to get two plays out of the nine seconds. Mm-hmm. And what happened was 
the scramble drill. You know, Frank's uh, got loose a little bit, and when he broke the pocket, of course, you know, they were playing a cover two zone, and people are looking at the quarterback. And then, of course, once he starts to scramble, uh, people lose their man, and Frank's just runs a beautiful post route, and he gets on top. Runs past the cornerback, gets on top of the safety, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the ball dropped right in his hands. I, you know, it, it, yep. so that's what I think Tennessee got caught off guard on their defensive call, where they thought they were probably just going to try to get 15 yards, get to the 50, and then they were to put all their men back in the back of the end zone. But, you know, they did not. And f- a game that was really bad for like three and a half quarters, but the last seven minutes of the football game was, was really good, really entertaining. Um, our final game that we're going to talk about, Mississippi State, down there in Stark Vegas, the cowbells ringing, put a whooping on LSU, thirty-seven to seventeen. Uh, the Bayou Bengals, they can't blame it on Les Miles and Cam Cameron this year. Uh, no, nah, Orgeron's got problems, <laughs> right. real problems. Um, right. Yeah, thirty-seven-seven. Yikes! It's yeah. it's a they took a they took a beating and. Bind you, I thought LSU was supposed to have a solid offense. And mm-hmm. now they, they look like they're uh I don't know if, if they're doing the job that they need to do just to keep the talent on offense around. Mm-hmm. This was this was a clear a, a clear shock. To not only lose to Mississippi State, but to lose by this much. Um yeah. it just shows that just weren't prepared for what was what Mississippi State was gonna do. Uh, LSU's offense uh, is really good when they go to the running game. They, the one touchdown they did get, they just used big boy football, power football, went down the field. They might have had like one pass and a drive. And even the way that it was going, uh, I said, man, LSU needs to at least score a touchdown right here on the drive that they did score on. I was like, if they even want a chance to win this football game because Mississippi State's defense is really, you know, Yep, lining them up, and uh, what was I think really surprising though was Mississippi State's offense. Uh, they really pushed LSU around. Uh, Mississippi State has a really good quarterback. Uh, he was carving them up, uh, making you know good decisions, and uh, you know, and of course, a good passing game makes for a good running game. And you know, the running back was you know getting in there, getting yards. So, you know, uh, Dan Mullen. He's, you know, pretty good offensive mind. He's got Mississippi State rocking and rolling. Uh, that leads us right into this week's college football week four preview. Two t- uh, games where ranked teams are going up against each other. As the aforementioned Mississippi State, you're going to go in between the hedges to go against the Georgia Bulldogs. So um, SEC matchup, it's going to be like strength on strength because Georgia's defense is beast and Mississippi State's offense is really, really good. So this, you know, the two best parts of their teams are going to decide the game. I think that Mississippi State has a little bit better quarterback. So I think Mississippi State will go into the, uh, Georgia and, and find a way to come out with that win. You know, I'm interested to see how LSU bounces back. Um, usually they, they the team itself rebounds pretty well. Especially after taking big losses, but uh, but as far as Mississippi State goes, um, they they've got to figure out how to uh, how to control Georgia's running game. Um, you know, Georgia's played a couple of uh, you know a couple of of weaker schools while getting tuned up for this. So um, I'm interested to see. Uh, I'm also I'm interested to see Georgia on the big stage. All right. Uh, by the way, perform. by the way, LSU plays Syracuse and Baton Rouge. 
at night. So yeah, yeah, that might be ugly. Yeah, they, yeah, that should be the get back game that they need. Um, and in our other, uh, you know, matchup of, of ranked teams, it's going to be TCU versus Oklahoma State at the Big Twelve. Uh, TCU is a contrast style. So, uh, TCU wants to be ball control, kind of, you know, death march you up and down the field. You know, take a lot of time, be real physical, use your running game. And Oklahoma State is a definition of an air raid. I don't know if you guys saw the Oklahoma State pit game. I, I <laughs> saw the first half, and it was literally bombs away. It was beautiful football to watch. Uh, they went deep. They went deep often. Everything they tried worked. Yeah. It, Perfection. Um, it was uh, just a display. Um, they've got Mason Rudolph, who, to me, uh he should be rated higher, higher amongst the quarterbacks in this, uh, in this potential draft. Um, throws a beautiful ball. He has also two really, really good receivers that are similar in built. They're big. They're tall. They, uh, you can throw. You can essentially throw them open by just throwing the ball high and not letting the, the shorter DBs get to it. Um, they also can run the football when needed, and they push the tempo. So. Uh, they're fun to watch. Uh, they're they're I I per, me personally I think they're better um, when uh, Des Bryant was catching passes from uh, from the old guy Brandon Whedon. Uh, Brandon Whedon, yes. <laughs> but it's very similar though. Very similar. Very similar. But I think because you have two weapons on this squad, I think this this version of Oklahoma State is a little bit better. But yeah, at, at CCU is no slouch. Um, Likes to put points on the board too, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if people could would take the over on this. All right, All right. so uh, look out for those uh, matchups in college football. Just want to let everybody know that this week's episode of the Know the Score is brought to you by Amazon.com. Amazon.com in connection with CSPN.us. You can support our podcast by going to our website, CSPN.us. Click on the banner that says support the podcast. Click on Amazon. Do your shopping like you normally would. Give some money back to the podcast and the network to keep all the podcasts free to you each and every week. So please, CSPN and Amazon.com, do it today. So, you know, it wouldn't be a week in sports without some type of controversy in the media. So first we're going to talk about RG3, he spoke out against Santana Moss. Santana Moss went on DC radio the other day and uh, he talked about, you know, the inner workings of the locker room and kind of what went down with RG3. Uh, Santana Moss basically said that, you know, uh, the things that happened to RG3 may be bad karma for the way that he uh, dealt with Mike Shanahan and how he was quote unquote gloating when Mike Shanahan got fired, uh, basically kind of signaling that he won the power play between the player and the coach. Mm-hmm. Now, Tyler, I'll go to you first since this, you know, directly affects oh, like a whole period of my fandom right here. I'll let you go first and I'll speak last. Uh, well, um, I think it's this, this is rather, uh, rather petty and behind the, uh, just, I personally think it's just a screen, a screen grab for content um, just to be part of the news cycle. I think it's point. I think I don't even think the public really cares what RG thinks of his, of, of his former teammates um, that uh, 
sometimes he didn't get the benefit of a doubt from from coaching from the coaching staff uh, because of his style of play. I also think that when you have a situation like this, um, it meant to be uh, be for public consumption. Uh, I think that doing this in public is bush league, and I I just don't even you know what's the meaning, you know what what do you get out of it? So I, I'm just not to be honest. Overall, overall, regardless of who's who's right or who's wrong in the situation, I just think that public squabbles between past teammates mean that much. All right. Well, RG three is fascinating on just so many levels. Um, as far as the reason why it's, it's always it's always going to be a big deal in the Washington media, and this is where this uh, interview with Santana Moss took place mm-hmm. because he was the 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 one guy in the history of the franchise that was like, Hey, we finally got one that actually worked out because in the history of the franchise, I think the Redskins have only picked a quarterback like three times in the top five. It was Sammy ball, uh, not even Sonny Jurgensen because he got traded to us. Um, it was, um, the guy they traded him for though him. And then he's Shuler before uh, RG3. And so it had never really worked out in the modern era that they had been bad enough to get a franchise, quote-unquote, changing player. And, you know, because he, Shuler, definitely didn't work out, even though he was number five the year he got drafted. And 2012 was just, you know, so much fun. It was kind of revolutionary. There's a whole lot of um, excitement around the style of play that they kind of came up with to figure out how to make this guy the best he could be without having any real NFL quote unquote skill set. Then of course the playoff game happens, which was just an organizational debacle from the owner to the doctor to coach to player. So, you know, you can talk about, Oh, they put him in there. They left him in there when he was hurt. Well, he wanted to stay in there when he was hurt and the doctor knew he was hurt and the doctor let him stay in there. He was hurt and the owner saw he was hurt and the owner let him stay in there. He was hurt. So the whole organization screwed that up. So, what doomed RZ3 was he came back and basically said, hey, the things that I do really, really, really good, I'm not doing those no more. Those are out of the question. That was the one thing. So now his skill set is about to be exposed. And the second thing that doomed him was he got into bed with Adidas and they made the comeback into this marketing campaign. Yep. And he probably could have benefited himself to sit out a month to really get himself where he didn't need the knee brace. They, you know, spun it where he was going to wear the knee brace regardless, you know, just because, but if he probably could have sat out a month, he probably wouldn't have actually needed the knee brace, but because you're in with Adidas and this is a big time marketing campaign and you're the face of the franchise and basically the face of the NFL right now coming off his NFL seat, Ricky season, they had to throw him out there whether he was healthy or not. And he was forcing it too. So all that to say, he isolated himself and turned himself on the people who really had the most care and concern for his playing career. He gets Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden didn't want him, didn't think he could play, basically, you know, exposed him, told everybody he couldn't play. And then, you know, he's gone on to a couple other places and he's basically shown everybody else he can't play. So my thing to RG3 is he's just, he's very sensitive. He, you know, probably looks at it like, man, how did everything go so wrong in five years when I was the toast of the football world? 
um, it makes the things that Donovan McNabb tried to tell him even more poignant now. And he brushed him off like, nah, man, I'm good. I got this. So, you know, there's a lot of arrogance involved with RG3 as far as, you know, himself, as far as what he thinks of himself, as far as a player and what he was able to do versus what he could do um, in his mind, as far as, you know, running a pro style in the pocket, pick out receiver type offense. And for a guy who was coming off a bad knee and, you know, basically wasn't mobile, it wasn't the best thing for him. And, you know, probably damaged him a lot more by having to play that regular traditional style offense than it would have if he would have been able to, you know, come back and still have the running involved because that was his greatest gift was running the football at that particular time. So, um, and then, you know, Santana Moss is just saying, hey, you know, Mike Shanahan was more than likely his favorite coach, coach that he liked to play for the most, coach that he felt, you know, gave them the best chance to win. And, you know, you, you're basically having a power struggle in our locker room and you're still here. And instead of being humble and gracious, because it's not just Mike Shanahan, it's all these trainers and all these, you know, support people and all these other folks that now don't have a job too, because they're all lumped in too. And, you know, I guess that's where Santana Moss kind of was feeling rubbed the wrong way about it. So that's my take. Next, some fun stuff in the news as uh, Kevin Durant got caught caping for himself through fake Twitter and Instagram accounts. Apparently, uh, KD has been doing this for years where he has um, dummy accounts where he defends himself against the trolls and the naysayers. And uh, he did the one thing that you can't do when you have multiple accounts. He did not check to see which account he was tweeting under before he hit send. And uh, he tweeted out some things defending himself underneath his own uh, Twitter handle. So for my co-host, Tyler Ball, this has been Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.